What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. It is Tuesday, August 9th, and we are uh, continuing our, I don't know if we can say coast to coast anymore. It's a bit of a bit of a misnomer at this point. We've been on the East Coast for the past month looking over all these teams, and today we are happy to talk about the most boring team in the East, the Bucks, and we're going to talk about my Bulls. And Ronan, you lead us off. I, I know you want to talk about uh, the former champs, Giannis, and the biggest biggest question of them all <laughs> what, what's the big question what's our headline around <laughs> well everyone th- everyone seems to think that it was health is the only reason that the books at the very least didn't get back to the nba finals last year Milton went down against chicago he wasn't able to play that seven game series against boston and they ultimately lost four three they obviously beat the Bulls, no problem, first round. They had another good good uh, regular season, 51-31. and 31. They were level with Boston and the 76ers. It's just a question now is, have they got enough now to match this Boston team who went to the finals last year, are likely going to see improvements from their two lead stars in Tatum and Brown, and have made uh, another strong addition in adding Malcolm Brogdon. Is health just the be-all and end-all for, for this Milwaukee team to be back and challenging at the very top? Yeah, that's, that's the, that is a big question. When you phrase it like that, it makes more sense. So, so for context, <laughs> Ronan sends to me, uh, okay, our headline for the Bucks is, is health the biggest concern for them? Like, I don't know. Is that obvious? <laughs> but I guess when you break it down like that, it is, it is true. Is, is health the biggest concern or is the looming competition at the top of the East, the, the bigger concern. And the fact that, you know, if you're being negative about what they're, what they did this off season, which essentially was nothing, just resigning their guys. Uh, yes, they did add um, Joe Ingles. How big of a signing that is. We'll see. Um, but if we just look at the playoffs and that's what we focus in on because we know we, we can just skip all that stuff, right? That's why I say the Bucks are boring because I think they're they're a near lock to be in the top three. They should be aiming to win around 57 to 60 games. And they're going to be really awesome. They're going to do what they do. They've shown that they've experimented a little bit more in the past couple of years. But when it comes to the playoffs, they know who they are and that's what matters. So just looking at how... The Celtics, for example, has geared up against them. I think it's going to be very difficult for the Bucs um, come around playoff times. And the reason I say that is because I think the easy argument a lot of people make for the Bucs is, hey, Chris Middleton was out and they took him to seven and they won because Grant Williams went crazy, which is true. I mean, that is absolutely true. I think there's a there's definitely the chance there's, there's a big – big difference in that series that doesn't maybe even go to seven if you got Chris Middleton there. But I think that there was a lot of points left on the court for the Celtics with some of their streaky shooting. They've added another reliable shooter. They've added, I think, a much more mature offensive attack. And does the Bucks running it back? I mean, do, do you feel confident that the Celtics won't get better than they were last year compared to the Bucs saying the same. I mean, the Bucs will get better with health for sure. So if that's the only concern, I think they're that's another seven-game series. But my question is their versatility, their defensive versatility, 
which when you have Giannis, that's an easy thing to say. You're always going to be versatile defensively. But with Brooke Lopez, with Serge Ibaka, with Bobby Portis, do they have enough defensive versatility that they've added this offseason to go the extra mile and do something a little bit different than what they did last year? That's, I think, my specific question in regards to what they actually should be concerned about come playoff time next year. Yeah, that's exactly how I, I would look at it as well. I think you, you look at the books now and Giannis is a 30.12 rebound, five assists, block steal a game. Like that's that's like an average, average, any old average night for this guy now. There's like a, a LeBron sort of aura around the Milwaukee books because they have Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, he makes them a playoff search. He arguably makes them a playoff competitor just on his own. And then you raise the question, when the team around him is at 100%, are they the best? That That's how that's how this, this Milwaukee team is going to go because they have arguably the most dominant player in the league. But And they are just, they are this elite two-way team. You think of how few teams, they, they have defensive players, they have guys that their defenses are built around. But this Milwaukee Bucks team, you make the argument like their defense is built around their three best players in in Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis, which we don't we probably don't see too much because in the modern NBA you, you you always think of offense when you think of the best players on each team. Not that they can't defend too, but the offense is is the kind of the lead off point for most teams. So when they have that sort of versatility within their team. You have to think if the coaches, the coaching is right, and we, Coach Bud has shown that he is a talented coach, they should be able to make the right adjustments to go up against a Boston team that we all expect to be even better next year. Yeah. Um, I just want to think about some guys on the outside of this. Because, again, when we talk about the Bucs, it's really just you're – you're really milling about the details, very nitty gritty details. Cause like you said, Giannis is, you know, it, it's so hard these days to vote for MVP because there's so many dominant players that are very deserving of it. Um, and Giannis is an MVP candidate every single year. Um, Chris Middleton, I think is a top five secondary star in the league. Drew holiday, I think is probably right up there with him uh, as a, and I'd say when you're talking about best two A guards, it'd be hard not to say he's, if not one, two, maybe three. So their core three right there is always going to bring them to the top of contention. And I'm just, I'm just uh, for for the sake of exercise of looking at them next year, I'm looking at guys like George Hill, who was injured last year, um, and when he came back in the playoffs, he did not look ready. Um, that's you know that's that's a lot of age could only muster 15 minutes a game, a guy who I thought could have had a bit more of an impact there, take a little bit of playmaking duties off of Giannis, off of Drew Holiday, especially, especially without Middleton there, which couldn't show up. So maybe that's, maybe that's a health thing. Maybe, you know, with, with the full off season arrest, he's good to go. But even Chris Middleton having wrist surgery, uh, it's his offhand. So maybe that's not going to be a big deal, but his health getting right. Um, and then Ingles, how is he going to look? Now, I actually think this is this is one thing to to answer my question from before. I think Ingles does a couple of important things for them, and we've mentioned it before. But Ingles is going to give them a huge option as a pick and roll 
ball handler off the bench. I think in a way that they haven't had in a while, I don't think they're going to rely on George Hill to do that. I think George Hill can be relied on as a three-point shooter specialist and a guy who can just use his length at least to bother some scorers off the bench. But if Joe Ingles has enough juice left to just give them 18, 20 minutes a game of ball handling off the bench and using his size, I don't know that he's he still has that defensive uh, his defensive chops that he's had, but he is a tough competitor. And having him at the four defensively, I think that'll be helpful. I think he's going to do a lot more than Bobby Portis can there. If you can, if you can maybe mix and match some some defensive lineups out there with him at the four, I think that gives them a little bit more versatility than they had before, which is Bobby Portis out there. So I I think Joe Ingles actually might answer some of these questions we have. Um, and Wesley Matthews too. You got some older guys here. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to look at their, their older vets here and be like, Ooh, I don't know if they can take a step back, but I think that they, they're relying on health alone really for these older guys and for none of them to take a step back. We won't think about the fact that Chris Middleton's efficiency has gone down over the past couple of years since he had the legendary season a couple of years ago in efficiency. I think he was uh, like over 60% true shooting on the year on incredible volume. There's a lot of guys on here that, you know, eventually could see some decline and you can't just assume health is going to fix all these guys. So you got to really expect somebody to step up in a big way. Um, maybe it's a young guy. I mean, I don't know if you've seen anything. The Bucks fans love Marjan Bochamp. He, he seems to be like a, everyone wants him to be there defensive specialist. And I think he'll especially have a lot of opportunities early on in the season. So you just need a guy like that. You need a Marshawn Bochamp to, to show out. You need somebody, maybe Javon Carter steps into that secondary guard role instead of George Hill. You, you need some growth from the very few young guys they have. Grayson Allen, you know, I think he actually has a chance to do a lot more offensively. I'm not sure where he stands defensively. I didn't think he was that bad. I mean, some people are really, really getting on him for his defense against the Celtics. But I mean, if you're getting ISO'd on Jason Tatum, you know, there's only so much you can do there. So they, I don't know, out of, out of those guys, does anybody stick out? You're like, maybe they can kind of step up. They can take more of a rotation role here where some of their young, older guys might fade out. Yeah, I think Grayson Allen's an important one. I think obviously mm-hmm. the defense, we were not too sure on that, but at the same time, there's going to be cover there when he's on the floor and he can become a more consistent offensive threat. He provides an important role within that team. And then I think Joe Ingles is kind of the wild card. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he's shown talent as part of a competitive Utah team over the last few years. Torres ACL there back end of January, start of February time. So he's likely going to be out until at least December. So you hope he's back on the floor consistently then come January time. And then he's got about three or four months to try get back to, to full full flow, get his shot back and just find his role on this team. And if he's able to do that, that could really change things up for this team. And that will that'll be a, an important addition and something that they didn't have last year and something that's going to make teams think twice, especially if... He's only kind of hit and miss while trying to get back on his form, but then come playoff time, he's really ready. He's really ready to pop off. Kind of similar to to what we saw from Clay Thompson last year. Admittedly, he still had some struggles in the playoffs, but I think we'll all agree he was more consistent in the playoffs than he was throughout the entire 
regular season after coming back from those two years out that he had. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly why I think uh, you, know, you, you might see actually see some time for uh, their first round pick, Mar- Marjan Bochamp. See what he can do. What, what, what can he do there? Um, and <laughs> here, here's our fun stat. I, I like these, uh, these fun stats. I always feel like Pat Connaughton is just, I don't know, just a guy like why why is he just consistently getting minutes? Like Bud loves him. I know he rebounds well. I know he's a high activity player. Um, do you know what his the uh, this is you're not gonna know what this is, but his offensive rating plus uh with and without for the Bucks, it's actually kind of shocking. He's a he's a near plus six all time. That's I I want to say that's even better than Chris Middleton. <laughs> There's just something about Pat Conson being on the floor. The Mafia Bucks are just consistently better on the offensive side so we we can't say anything bad about pat Connaughton, uh unless we're, we're talking about the fact that they couldn't get bogdanovich a couple of years ago but we've completely forgot about that right yeah well, one thing do you think they should have been in the market for a guy like goran Dragic, considering the deal that he signed obviously with your chicago bulls and we'll talk a bit mm-hmm. more on him later do you think they they should have tried to get a guy like him i i mean a- absolutely Absolutely. I, I think Goran would have, number one, had a role there and specifically filled a big need. I think they always want to surround Giannis with shooting. Uh, you look at at uh, Goran's shooting splits and he shot incredibly efficient, even though he wasn't healthy all last year. So just go, going out to the nets and just immediately providing a shooting punch and as a movement shooter too. I think he's really developed into a combo guard later on in his years where he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time. And that's the exact kind of guy that you want to put next to Giannis. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think so. I wonder, you know, I don't know if they had the, the MLE mm. to pay for him. Cause I want to say they use that on, on surge. I, I could, yes. I could be wrong. Yes, I, think you're I could be wrong right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting when you get a guy in and, you just think he's going to be able to make that sort of impact, but you kind of forget that Serge Ibaka was even there last year. You wonder, is he still a guy who can who can make the sort of impact that they're going to be looking for, especially especially come playoff time? It's kind of a, it's a hard one to call, but I guess he, he obviously made enough of an imprint in his, uh, in his short spell towards the end of last season with the team. Yeah, and I think the difficult thing too is – you know, the Bucks are a great team defense. Um, and, I, and I don't know how adding a guy like Goron mm-hmm. kind of stresses their, their point of attack even more than it already is. So if, if you're pulling Goron off the bench and you're pulling Grayson Allen off the bench, having those two play together, that would be a little untenable. Um, maybe you combine him with George Hill a bit. But I think if, if Javon Carter, and again, we, we got to really dig deep here when we talk about the Bucks because they're – we already know what the great players are, but talking about Javon Carter, I mean, he's a guy that I think has tremendous defensive upside. He shows it in spurts when he's allowed to be on the floor. It's just offensively, can he do anything? That's that's what keeps him will keep him on the floor. So if his if his shooting can get better, I mean, I think he would be even a way better fit for them just from the fact that he can provide defensively and if he can just stretch the floor. So that's that's always just going to be the the question mark for some of these players, but. At the end of the day, when we look at the Bucs, this is a team that is obviously going to be – I think that's a – they're a lock for top three. Would you agree with that? 
yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely fair. Uh, I actually looked at their their championship odds now. They're currently at plus eight hundred. Uh, the Clippers, the Nets, the Celtics, and the Warriors are all ahead of them. Do you think that's a, a fair Clippers Nets? Hmm. I don't. So if we had to if we had to run this back, if we had to run this back, Celtics and Bucks right now, all of them are healthy. Who are you taking? At this at the moment, I'm probably uh, it's it's hard to say because I'm thinking we're looking back, it's all all healthy. It's I, I I still have a feeling that the Celtics would have been able to get get the job done. I don't know it's just something something inside me, something mentally with them. You think they know a guy like Milton's not going to be on the floor? They can they can take a, an extra step back, little things like that. You hope that that wouldn't be the case, but you never you never fully know. So I I still think that the Celtics would have got the job done this year. Mm. I definitely have them in over the Nets. I, I think the book should be yeah. should be higher than the Nets and the Clippers. We don't know. Obviously, I, yeah, I can't Clippers bet anybody be, over the Clippers right now. To uh, be honest, that's yeah, such a the Clippers are are the, are the weird one. But yeah, I think I think they should definitely be in the top three uh, in terms of favorites. But yeah, I'd still probably take the Celtics. All, all things healthy, I think I'm, I, I, something inside me still thinks the Celtics would have got the job done. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Grant Williams will drop drop some crazy. What do you have that game? Thirty points? I forget now. Yeah, it was it was it was the three pointers. He hit eight three pointers, wasn't that? Was that it? He, he had oh my god, wait, it's good. Yeah, twenty seven points. That's what it was. <laughs> You'll have another thirty bomb, but I think it's a lot of Bucks fans will say, "Listen, like that was that was an anomaly," and. But that was meant to happen. I think we talked about it before, and that's that's what I'm that's what I'm wondering. So when you introduce guys like seriously, I mean he's, he's a rookie, but you you've seen uh, Bud be willing to play other guys like when they had DJ Wilson, willing to play him. Maybe not big minutes playoffs, but if you bring in a guy like Bochamp, you bring in uh, Joe Ingles. I think that gives him more versatility than kind of when you have Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez out there. There's only so much you can do defensively, and you just got to leave some of those guys open. So that that's if you run all this back, if the Bucks over the course of the regular season have introduced more versatile defensive lineups, I think that will give me confidence that you introduce Chris Middleton into that seven game series. I think the Bucks win that. To be honest, I mean, you, you just you lost a you lost your a twenty plus point per game score in the playoffs. A guy who is, I mean, Chris Middleton's the perfect perfect player in these situations because he's a guy that stops and runs because mm. he he's, he has a DeMar DeRozan effect where he can get to his spot in the mid range, score efficiently and your, your runs over. And he can, that's so huge in the playoffs when you can stop uh, that sort of momentum. Cause there are just times where Giannis was, wasn't on the floor, just the Celtics were having their way. It was just all, all on Giannis, all on Drew holiday, but that, that's that's where I stand with it. I, I think if it comes down to versatility, I think I'll I'll pick the box if if some of these guys can step up. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I think think you think you've made your point there well, and you you've obviously mentioned Demar Derozan, so I guess it's time we switch over to to those Chicago Bulls. What do we got with them? I mean, last season obviously it was a bounce back year, forty six and thirty six. They ultimately finished as the sixth seed, but they were the number one seed right up until the twenty fifth of February. 
then the injury started to hit. Mm-hmm. Health was the big, big issue for the Chicago Bulls last year. Lonzo went down on the 15th of January. The team was the number one seed then. Caruso was also injured at this time. And then from that game onwards, that, that Lonzo goes down, he missed 24 of the next 26 games. Patrick Williams was injured for pretty much the entire regular season. Levine was kind of in and out of the team around that time as well. And we don't believe he was 100% when he was playing. So there was some inconsistency Definitely there. Not. And then you had just had DeRozan, and that was in him in the height of his uh, of his MVP form. Then I think he had three forty point games around that time. That included a 10, 10 game stretch of scoring at least thirty points. And I think it, it kind of seemed like it was just losing Alonzo was the first one, and then all their better defensive players just started to get injured, and DeRozan just could not keep them. High and above everyone else. That was that was the big thing. It was it was it was all down to health, which which hurt a lot of teams last year. Yeah, and and got to remember too. Caruso also had a hip injury. He was nursing that throughout the season when he wasn't out. Um, and for your your arguably your best point of attack defender, having a hip injury that's huge. I mean that that's that's you know synonymous to your best three point shooter hurting their shooting wrist. Um, and I think I think a lot of teams are, are able to sit, look back and say, oh, look, we weren't healthy, so we could have been this good. Do I think the Bulls are truly number one seed? I might have said this a few times already. No. I mean, I, I don't want you to tell me how close every other team was to the first seed because we all know it was like it was the thinnest of margins. So in a, in a year where someone like we could say, well, the Bulls were one seed for like eight, 70 percent of the season. It's like, well basically half the East was almost to one seed half the season too. But I think what was real is the number one, Levine's continuous improvement. And I think I want to start there. Um, and then we can talk about what, what could have happened. Let's talk about what's, what's real. And Levine last year, I think took another step forward, even though he was hurt. I mean, he had, he had the, the thumb issue in the beginning of the season, which as a shooter, like that's, like scary like he had to just work through that pain and then the knee issues which kept getting inflamed luckily he had a small cleanup procedure it seems like that's all fine but through all that he shot 46 percent on catch and shoot threes and that put him in the top five and he is a guy that consistently gets better at shooting and that 46 percent is only on 2.6 attempts per game so most of his shots are coming off pull-ups i mean it He's mostly taking a lot of difficult shots. He's not getting a ton of open looks. I think that's a huge thing that can change over the course of an offseason where Billy Donovan hopefully is evolving uh, their their offense and he's getting more looks there as they introduce more playmaking from uh, other players on this team. Because I I really want to see him lean into that. I want to see him take Clay Thompson-type volume. I mean, you you look at Van Vliet, look at Thompson. They're getting over four attempts per game. And if Levine's getting more looks, I think that his scoring is going to get even more if he's just focusing on being a an absolute bomb from beyond the arc. Um, so I think that that is where I start out. And I know you want to talk about Levine too, because I, I think if Levine takes another step as an elite catch and shoot three point shooter, and other guys can step up to facilitate that, that's going to be a huge part of why this offense will continue to improve next year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think Levine is, is the really interesting one. Obviously, he signed his max extension with the team this offseason. 
five years, 215 million. He's 27 years old. He's heading into the prime of his career. He's had flashes. Of course, last season was actually his first ever appearance in, in the postseason. Obviously, it didn't go too well for him. He was, they didn't go too well for the Bulls. He wasn't 100% healthy, but him and DeRozan as a duo, they could they can score with the best of them. I mean, they they, they led the league as a duo in terms of clutch points with 7.1, and that was pretty well clear of any other duo in the league. So when push comes to shove, the two of them can score the basketball, and they can keep the Bulls in games, and that's something you always need from your league guys. But it was kind of DeRozan's team last year, obviously because there was – large periods where Levine wasn't at 100% and DeRozan was just in the form of his life while he finished just under 28 points per game last year. But you look over into the last three years and Levine has averaged 25.7 points. He shot 53% from two and shot 39.6% from three. You compare that with DeRozan, 23.8 points per game. He's actually shot just slightly worse on two-pointers when that's his his go-to area and then 29% from three-pointers. Levine is the type of modern-day scorer that you need. He can do it, he can do, do it all. I know DeRozan is still an elite two, but they've got to push this offense through Zach Levine and make him the league guy this year. He's got, to, he's got to take over, not just for a regular season, but to be ready to be able to do that if and when they get back to the postseason, because we all know, Playoff DeRozan does exist, and sometimes it can get pretty ugly when he's forced to try and carry the team in the postseason. Yeah, I think DeRozan had the year of his life, you said last year, and I never thought you'd get an MVP-type guy. I mean, he, he his, his contract was looked at like one of the worst contracts in the league, given out in last year's free agency, and it was probably one of the biggest bargains you got an MVP guy for under 30 million a year. Um, and I, I think the playoff to Rosen narrative is statistically true. And, and I think if you look at it, um, the Bulls just need to do more offensively. And I think this really, this, this is less about Zach and Amar because I think we can look at them. And at the end of the day, they have such a versatility of perimeter scoring, mid range scoring, the way Zach can get to the rim, the way that DeMar can handle and facilitate for a team. And Zach's gotten a little better there too as a pick and roll creator. Um, but at the end of the day, both those guys will reliably create offense for you. I think it's just that the edge is there. But what are the Bulls doing around those two guys? How are they going to evolve over the course of the season? Because just like the Bucs, I mean, they're, they're running it back. They've not made major changes to this offense. Um, and unless any Andre Drummond stands out there, maybe they'll correct me and, point out his insane uh, efficiency as a roller with the Nets in what, like 20 games last year, which is exciting. But look look at the perimeter, um, specifically Vooch. I think Vooch, I want to really believe that he can regress to the mean a little bit here. Shot 33% on open threes this year when he shot 42.3 a year ago. Maybe that was high, but he was uh, he was 33% year before that, 40% the year prior. Um, so, I mean, average back around to like 36, 35, 36%, that seems a little bit more reasonable. I don't think he's as bad as he was. And I think a lot of this, a lot of people have been just wondering why 
why Vooch has just taken a step back. And I think a lot of people might say, okay, it's age and he's playing on a bad team. But I think when you look at um, his shot diet, he did, he wasn't a chucker. You know, he, he wasn't just, he wasn't just chucking shots on the magic. I think a lot of it has to come down to roll. Like Vooch really was relied on as a playmaker. So much of the offense is flowing through, through him. And he was really relied on to make a lot of decisions at the elbow to kind of help this offense move along. So I think really for, for a guy like him, if his role can be simplified and reduced down a bit and he knows when his shots are coming, he doesn't have to get into a groove. He's not being relied on as a three-point shooter because I mean, that, that, that's a big thing as a team. Like they were dead last in three-point attempts. And I think a lot of it had to come down to, okay, well, Vooch was a 40% three-point shooter last year. Let's pick and pop him to death. I don't think he's a volume pick and pop guy. I mean, and in some instances, it's necessary, but we need other guys to step up. Um, Io, I, I hope a guy like him can continue to be better as a three-point shooter. He was supposed to not even have that in his bag. He shot almost 40%, lower volume for sure. I expect Pat Williams to do a lot more of that. Kobe on, he had the third most volume and he was only putting up uh, less than six three-pointers a game, shot 38.5. A guy you hope that can just embrace a simplified role as a three-point shooter. And you just need him to be a movement shooter off the bench. And that's that's golden if that's all he can do. And I think so, some of these guys are players that have had previously bigger roles, Vucevic being a an all-star, Io in college being the best point guard in the country being reduced down to a secondary playmaker. And I think you start reducing down roles. Kobe, you don't want him to be this, this go-to point guard and where you want him to be a shooter and Pat Williams. Okay. We, we love that. We believe that you're going to be an, an all-star one day, but we need you just to play defense and actually shoot threes when you catch the ball. Like so many of these roles, if you reduce them down, you simplify them. And I think that's what continuity does. That's naturally going to allow them to, I think, be more efficient and for the offense to make a lot more sense, because that was one of the biggest issues last year is where does the offensive consistency come from outside of Zach and DeMar? So I'm pretty hopeful that, that, that that's a pretty simple approach in this offseason. And I don't know how much I think you're you're kind of my litmus test here because you say that to Bulls fans and it's like, yeah, it sounds great. But <laughs> on the outside, um, when you look at this squad and the, the fact that it stayed the same, we just talked about the Bucks staying the same and feel a little bit iffy on that. For the Bulls, how negative are you feeling? It's tough with the Bulls because I think they have they have that elite level scoring with their their two D guys and DeRozan and Levine. It's just a question of the fit for all the the rest of the guys and how big of an impact is Lonzo's mm. potential absence going to be. We don't know for sure if he's going to be back and ready. For the start of this season, we don't know how long into the season it might take before he's back at 100%. It's just a really big question mark. And then you're kind of looking at it and thinking, how long is it going to take him to get back into the elite flow that we saw at the start of last season? And who fills his the gap while he's while he's out? Is it Iota Somu? Is he is he yeah. is he the guy that goes oh, in yeah. there? And oh, can yeah. he can he fill that gap to to can he be able to take that leap despite knowing that he's just filling the gap? That's that's probably the tough thing. It's going to probably bear on his mentality is can he go and prove it? Or will he always just be thinking, no matter how well I play, once Lonzo's back, 
I'm going to be reduced to a smaller role again. Two things on that uh, numbers and, and some just on court feel when you watch Io Desumu play, he, he, he's a basketball player. When I mean a basketball player, like he is a professional, like as a young kid, like he steps on the court, he brings intensity and he does it no matter what his minutes are. And he did that throughout the season. And I think Billy Donovan actually has done a fantastic job with so many guys competing that he, it's some, similar to, to the Grizzlies, I think. The Grizzlies have developed this great culture where you compete for a spot. You're all brothers. You all have good chemistry, but you compete for those minutes. And I think Io has successfully competed and done that. And I don't think that mentality will be an issue. I think he's gearing up to get even better next year. And you look at the numbers. As an on-ball creator, I think that's where the, the untapped potential is. I, I just talked about simplifying his role, sure, but I think if Lonzo's going to be out, and God forbid, because he's he's one of the major keys for me. I, I don't want to talk about it because he might be injured, but I, I think Lonzo's there, and that that vaults us into that 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 ceiling. That's you know, I, I think he's a, a ceiling raiser. Um, but if you don't have him, I think Io. When you see what he can do on ball, he shot fifty three percent on pull up jumpers. He was in the 73rd percentile as a pick and roll ball handler as a rookie. And you don't have a ton of like rolling bigs. You know, you, you're doing a lot of that with Derek Jones Jr. With, I mean, Javante Green. You got Vooch there, obviously, time to time. Um, you got Bradley, who barely can catch a basketball at times. Andre Drummond, this is where I'm actually a little excited for Andre Drummond. And I, I will I will agree with the, the Drummond stands that 24 games of Brooklyn, He's a 90th percentile as a pick and roll big 1.4 points for possession at 74% at the rim. I mean, he's a guy who's definitely going to produce for you on the boards and produce for you in the pick and roll off the bench. Obviously consistency is an issue, but I'm excited for him in particular because of IO you give IO a true rolling big to work with. I think he's going to do a lot with that. So you don't have Lonzo. I'm actually excited to give this kid from Chicago a chance to grow into not just some exciting rookie, but a legitimately good role player and maybe even a more promising player, which is scary to think about because it's, we only gave him a two-year contract. So that's up after next year. Yeah. And then he, would he still be a restricted free agent then next year or be unrestricted? <sighs> I got I have to look at that. Um, I think, I think if you're, you only get a two-year contract that you're unrestricted, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's a deal. I'll have to double check that and get back to you. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure he'd be unrestricted. Yeah, that's where it'd be interesting because you think if he gets the the opportunity, if Lonzo was out for a bit more of extended time, hopefully he won't be. But he gets that opportunity to kind of impress that bit more. Mm-hmm. Some other teams might take a look and see. Even if Chicago want them, they might they might be able to offer him the that bigger role if they see they see what he can do this year. What, what do you think is the is the ideal starting five for this Chicago team that can produce the most this year? Oh yeah, it, it's it's this lineup that only played five games. Only played five games together. You got to remember that Lonzo, Levine, DeRozan, Williams, and Vucevic. And they only played sixty three minutes together, and that's for a number of reasons going to be the best lineup. Um, and I think the big question mark there is obviously Lonzo's health, but also we talked a little bit about uh, Pat Williams. I think that's a big thing here. If any, if anyone's thinking about where the Bulls will be next year. Um, the IO stuff is, you know, that's interesting. That'll be definitely helpful. The Kobe stuff, that should also be helpful. The additional drum sure. Dragic, great bench bench guy. It's all about Williams. 
if Williams takes that next step, that's what changes this team from a playoff contender to competing again for the top three. Can he be a third star? And that would be a massive jump. Let's be real. It'll be a massive jump. But when you just look at what he can do on the court, when he actually gets his um, shots, when he actually gets his looks, and he's been efficient. I've harped on it a lot. His efficiency is there. But he just has to prove it. And I think this is a prove-it year, absolutely. If, if he is given the ball and he's given a role and can excel in it, I think that's a pretty big sign that there's not, there's not enough mentally there to take advantage of the physical tools that he has. But that is the guy that could change the Bulls from being a good team to being a legitimately great team and step into the, the big boy room of contenders. Yeah, I think we, we you, you've been you've been harping on about Williams for a while now. I think it's this is this his third year or fourth year we're going into now. It'll be his third year, so he'll, he'll be extension eligible after the season. Yeah, so you you be hoping that he's able to take that uh, that third year jump that we uh, that we talk about so often. Obviously, it's not going to be as the be all end all star, which is kind of good in one way because there's not too that, that overwhelming pressure on on a, on a guy who's still a young player. And then on the other hand is, is he going to get enough of an opportunity, opportunity to be able to to really showcase that sort of star power that you you want to see from him? But he can be the difference maker, especially the defensive end. He, he Imagine he was there the entire entirety of yeah. last season. You don't think they, they would have fallen as far as they did with uh, with the other issues we saw with, with the likes of uh, with, with the likes of Lonzo and Caruso. So you know what you're going to get from him on that end. Now it's just a question of, can you be a big time two-way threat? And thinking like that, what are the ambitions for Chicago 2023? It's that simple. Yeah. Is it not going for, to be a number one seed? If you ask any of these guys, I don't think like last year, it's like, you know, we want to be in the playoffs, we want to be in the playoffs. But I think what they did, I don't think any of them is, is going to hold back and say that we, we want to be, we want to compete further on the playoffs. We want to get to the championship. I, I don't, these guys are all hungry, man. And I, I think that any team should say that, but this team in particular, what they showed last year, you can tell from what all their exit interviews and what they talk about, they're frustrated. They, they didn't like the fact that they didn't have the chance to be fully themselves when it all mattered. And I, I think they believe in the formula, the coach believe in the formula the GM believes in the formula. And when you have a team and organization that's all together and has that talent and has youth and the ability to grow from within, I think there's a huge chance that, you know, they're going to go beyond what the expectations are because everyone's banking on everything to just be, you know, the DeMar DeRozan show. Levine's a solid player. Vooch is on the decline. They don't really have anyone else who's going to pop, but then they, they don't believe that. And I think there's reason to, to find hope in, guys like Pat Williams, guys like Io, guys like Levine to get better and for this team as a whole to continue to to grow as a unit because you saw it not just in flashes, but you saw it for more than half the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there you have it, Chicago fans. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta have, you gotta have hope this year. That's, that's the, that's the main thing. This is a team that are still capable of taking it to another level. Last year was not a peak this is a team that have just taken their first step. They got back into the playoffs. They've made some nice smaller additions. And if the health is there, the Chicago Bulls will definitely be expecting to 
not only improve on what they did last year, but be much more expectant to at least get through a first round matchup in 2023. Yep. I I'll uh I'll bet on them over just about anybody. Anybody. You you get you get Damaru Rosen, the ball in the fourth, the king of the fourth, you never know what's gonna happen. Yeah, well, in the playoffs, you sometimes kind of, kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's it's tough. It's tough when you're down by thirty. You're down by thirty against Giannis, and I guess it doesn't really doesn't really matter what he can do with four. Yeah, that's true. But then uh, that's why that's why you need help. That's why Chicago, you guys. Hopefully, the luck will be on your side. We mentioned this last week. So many teams looking stacked. You just have the worry that it's going to come down to health and off court things that's going to make the difference, but. Chicago had that problem last year. Here's hoping it's going to be completely different this year and we get to see an honest look at the returning and rising Chicago Bulls. So we've remained on this coast and we've avoided it long enough. Are we going to talk about the Knicks eventually? You ready? I don't this is a Mitchell, the Mitchell trade might never come. Might might yeah. just be time. <laughs> yeah, we might have to accept talking about them. I don't think we need to talk about the Nets because that's just too much hypotheticals at, at this uh at this moment, Boston will be similar enough to what we, we spoke on with uh, Milwaukee. Maybe it's time to go similar down in the uh, down the smaller teams like uh, like New York and Washington. That, that could be what we talk about next week. Okay, let, let's take a bet here real quick, though. If the season starts, is Nash on the Nets or is Durant on the Nets? Who are you betting on? I'm betting on Durant. <laughs> yeah, Joe side. That's a re- really good PR. I I love that you're you're committed to uh to Sean Marks. You said uh, but we're, we're what do you say? He's committed to Sean Marks and and Steve Nash, and we'll do whatever's best for the Nets. Well, guess what? I think Durant's probably best for the Nets. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's something that everyone's gonna agree on. If anyone's choosing Steve Nash as a coach over Kevin Durant as a as a player, you you'll be fired. That's it. That's that's <laughs> what it is. That's what it is. At any rate, we'll uh, we'll get to the more interesting uh, New York team. Well, maybe we'll wait it out a little longer. We we gotta wait out some hope for for Mitchell to come and save New York, as he always. That was his destiny. That's his destiny. Yes, and please, please let us let it come true. Let us have at least hope. It might work. Might not work out, but. At least the hope can be there if we add if we can add a star like Donovan Mitchell. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us again for another episode. We'll be back at you soon with some more content. Until then, have a great rest of your week. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.